Good morning. Have your Bibles with this morning. First Kings, First Kings, chapter eight. We'll begin in verse one. We there say Amen. We're on the screen before you. First Kings, chapter eight, verse one. Amen. Ready to read? Scripture says. Then King Solomon summoned into his presence at Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes and the chiefs of Israel's Israelite families, to bring up the ark of the Lord's covenant from Zion to the city of David. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father God, I thank you for the reading of your word. I pray now, Father, that you'd open our hearts, our minds, our souls, and our senses, that we'd be receptive to your word, that we'd take and apply it to our lives, that we may be better disciples of your son, Jesus. I pray now, Father, you remove me from this. Use me as your humble vessel. Speak your word through me in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So we've been talking about King David and then how King David passed away. But before he passed, he gave strict instructions for Solomon to uh, follow God's will and do everything that God wanted him to do so that his days would be great upon the earth because God had been faithful to David. David, if you remember, wanted to build a temple for God because he lived in a cedar house and he wanted to build a temple for the ark of God to be in instead of it being in a tent. But David was given a messenger that said, no, God doesn't want you to do that. God only wants you to govern his people and take care of them. And Solomon is the one who was tasked with building the temple. So Solomon took all of the, the necessary uh, requirements that God required for him to build a temple, adorned it in such a way that uh, God wanted him to. And when the time came for them to move the Ark of the Covenant into uh, the temple, Solomon gave all of his uh, religious leaders, everyone around uh, this task of, hey, this is what God wants. And he called them all together and said, we're going to move the Ark of the Covenant of God. Skipping on down to verse 6. The priests then brought the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple, the most holy place, and put it beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim was uh, these two winged creatures, kind of look like a man's face from the pictures that I've seen, what they kind of think it looked like. Uh, had wings like an eagle, and it was over the top of the covenant. It was to shelter it and cover it in the temple. Skipping on down to verse 10. When the priests withdrew from the holy place, the cloud filled the temple of the Lord, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled His temple. If you remember when the Israelites were forced out and were fleeing from Pharaoh, there was a pillar of cloud that went before them and a pillar of cloud that stayed between them and Pharaoh's army. This pillar of cloud was God. God was in the cloud and the, God, the cloud was God. So when God's, um, the Ark of Covenant of God was placed in the temple, God filled the temple with smoke. So much so, Scripture said, that the priests couldn't perform the rest of the service. They had to step away from it. Verse 22 through 30. <clears throat> then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel, spread out his hands toward heaven and said, now listen to this. Listen to what Solomon said. This is what our cry should be 
here on earth today. We should be crying out to God, giving Him praise, honor, and glory for everything that He's done for us. Just listen to what Solomon says. He says, The Lord of God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it, as it is today. Now, Lord, the God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, the promises you made to him when you said you shall never fail to have a successor to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk before me faithfully as you have done." And now, God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David, my father, come true. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens and the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. Lord my God, hear the cry, the prayer, and that your servant is praying in your presence this day. May your eyes be open toward his this temple, night and day, this place of which this place of which you said, My name shall be there, so that you will hear the prayer for your servant prayers towards this place. Hear the supplications of your servant and of your people in Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Solomon is crying out to the Lord. He's given them uh, praise, honor, and glory for being faithful in everything that he's done for his father and his servant. And then saying, make sure, Lord, I'm begging you to, pleading with you to, make sure that you keep your promises that you made to my father, your servant, and that one of his descendants shall always be on the throne. But there's a, uh, there's a condition for those to be on this throne. They have to continually be in the Lord's way, continually following Him and being faithful at all times to God. He goes on to say, <clears throat> at the end of verse 30, He says, Your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. He's asking God that when you hear the prayers of the people of Israel, when you hear their petitions, their cares, and their concerns, also answer them, but also forgive. Forgive. We know this morning that we go to God uh, when we go to Him in prayer that we don't no longer have to go to a high priest to intercede for us, that Jesus is our high priest. He intercedes for us between God. And that when we know not what to pray, Jesus intercedes and, and tells God what we need. He provides for us. But we go to the throne room boldly asking God for uh, whatever it is in the world that we need. We've been blessed above and beyond. We've had a lot of things given to us, a lot of things blessed. Uh, that we have our health this morning, that we have roofs overhead and clothes on our back and foods in our, in our stomachs and on our tables for us this morning. It is a wonderful blessing that we have that the Lord has given us that we take for granted each and every day that those things are just going to be there. But the greatest blessing we've ever been given from God is His Son, Jesus. That He sent Him into the world so that we might have forgiveness. We might have salvation and have life in abundance. Skipping on down to verse 41. Listen to this. Solomon is a very wise king. Before last week, you know, we heard that God said, you know, ask, ask for anything you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon didn't ask for fame or fortune or riches, but what he did ask for was for a discerning heart, for wisdom. 
in order that He may govern the people of Israel in a fair way. Verse 41, As for the foreigner who does not belong to your people Israel, but has come from a distant land because of your name, for they will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm when they come and pray toward this temple. Then hear from heaven your dwelling place. Do whatever the foreigner asks of you so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you and do your own people as do your own people Israel and may know that this house I have built bears your name. Solomon not only wanted God to answer the prayers of Israel, he also wanted God to answer the prayers of excuse me, the prayers of the foreigner. He wanted him to make sure that he listened and heard the prayers of the Gentiles. He wanted him to answer that prayer so that the kingdom of God could continue to grow, that people would know how great and wonderful God was in the land. How often do we pray to God for just thanking Him and giving Him honor, glory, and praise in such a way that others can know and tell who we serve? How often do we give God thanks for things when things are going wrong? How often do we lift God up and say, Lord, be that God of promise for us today? We, we believe in God this morning because we have been taught who God is. We have accepted Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. If you know Him as your Lord and Savior this morning, you have accepted Him. If you uh, know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've also seen the hand of God at work in your life and in the lives of others. Even though we walk by faith and not by sight, we also know that we see God's handiwork in the world. Amen. We see it. We see it healing. We see Him uh, providing for us day in and day out. But we see it also in our own lives. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. <clears throat> so this morning you got up and you, you brushed your teeth and all that before you came to work. Why didn't you brush your teeth this morning before you came to church? Because you had bad breath? Is that why? Brush teeth because you had bad breath? Parents, why do you make your kids brush their teeth? So their teeth don't fall out and get rotten. So they don't have cavities. You want them to protect their teeth. That toothpaste gives them a little fluoride and it cleans their teeth and it makes sure that all the sugar and stuff's off of them. That's a protection. When you got in the car this morning, did you put your seatbelt on on your way to church? Well, maybe you did. <laughs> put your seatbelt on. It's a form of protection. You got up this morning, you put shoes on your feet. Why did you do that? Why did you put shoes on your feet? So you don't step on a rock. That's right, Bronner. So you don't step on a rock. So your feet are protected. But what do we do day in and day out when we get up and we begin to go out into the world as believers of Jesus Christ? What do we put on? Do we put on just our shoes? Do we just put on our socks and brush our teeth and go out into the world thinking that that's going to protect us? If we do, we're going out without the armor of God. We need to go out and make sure that we have it all on. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10, Paul speaking, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, and against the powers of, the dark, of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. 
Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist and the breastplate of righteousness in place. So we're supposed to tell the truth, right? We're supposed to put that belt of honesty on so that we tell the truth. Please, men, old men, please listen to me right now. Women, please do us a great service and don't ask us how this dress makes you look. Because it makes it really hard for us. Because if we ask, uh, okay, we're going to make sure, and you want to know the truth, so it's a loaded question. You put us in a rock and a hard spot. We've got to decide whether or not we're going to tell exactly how it looks or if we're going to say, yeah, it looks great. Amen, man? Right? Yeah, Tim's with me. Okay, amen. <laughs> Just say we're going to tell you that you look beautiful. That's what we're going to say. That's what we're going to say. Realistically, we have to think about, hey, we've got to put the belt of truth on so that when we go out in the world, that if a family member is falling away from God, we know that the Bible is used to rebuke out of love and kindness. It's a tool used for that. That if a family member is falling away from Christ, that we can go to him and say, hey, you're in the air of your ways, and we want you to listen to what the Word of God says. They're going to get angry at you. I can almost guarantee it. They're going to be mad. And they're going to say, well, who are you to uh, tell me what I need to be doing? And we have to take that with a grain of salt and we have to just pray for them. But if we love them enough that we go to them and share the good news of Jesus Christ with them or the error of their ways or what's going on, then we have to do it in truth. Are you with me this morning? Amen. Nobody's with me? Amen. Amen. Okay. The truth. The breastplate of righteousness in place. So we don't feel righteous, do we? We don't feel righteous. None of us feels righteous this morning, but we know Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. And because we know Jesus Christ Lord and Savior, we are considered righteous because Jesus gave His life on the cross of Calvary for us. So we're supposed to remember each and every day that we're royalty. That we're supposed to put on that breastplate of righteousness and remember that when we go out into the world of whose we are that our actions and our speech is going to portray to the world who we serve. So we need to put on that breastplate of righteousness. <clears throat> and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So we know that this right here is our sword, right? We're supposed to take it with us. If you have your cell phone with you, you can take it with you everywhere you go. All you got to do is download the Bible app. And you'll have it right there. Many of you are using it this morning. You'll always have it with you. And it's so convenient. How many of you have a hard time looking up something you know you know some of it, but you don't know exactly the address of where it's at in the Bible? Am I the only one? Okay. You can take your, your phone and go, yeah, I know it says... Uh, uh, for all things work together, and that's pretty much all you got to get. And it'll give you Romans 8.28. It'll pop it up and you can find it all on your phone. It'll bring it right up there and it'll even give you which version you want to read it from. You can make it to where uh, if they say, well, that doesn't read the way my Bible reads. We well, say, well, how does, what version do you use? And you can find it in there yourself and share with them. So we're supposed to take the Word of God with us at all times. Verse 18, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. 
all the Lord's people. Not just those at Halltown, not just those in Red Bay, not just those in Alabama, not just those in the United States, but all of God's people. Every brother and sister of Jesus Christ in the worldwide, we're supposed to pray for them each and every day. Amen. That's what we're called to do. To be a body of believers. Verse 19. Paul also says, Pray also for me that whenever I speak words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. How many of you remember the Columbine shooting? 1999. Remember that? I do as year I graduated a long time ago. It was said that they came into a classroom and said, who in here believes in Jesus Christ? And a young lady stood up and said, I do, and they shot her first. She never experienced a lick of pain, I guarantee you. In a blink of an eye, she is in the throne room of God. She was there. But she was fearless about speaking who she served. She was fearless. May we be so bold that we are fearless to share the good news of Jesus Christ, even if it's going to hurt a family member. We can be pretty bold to tell somebody we don't know about Jesus Christ, but to tell a family member about Jesus is hard to do. Because God's Word, Jesus said a prophet's not welcome in his hometown. Your family member knows the worst of the worst of the worst about you. They know everything there is to know about you. And you're going to come to them and share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. And trust me, they're not, they're not going to take it easily at the beginning. But the more you pray for them, if you plant that seed and somebody else waters and it begins to grow and flourish, they'll come back and thank you for sharing the, news, the good news of Jesus Christ, for planting that seed. Paul says we've got to be bold. He wants people to pray for him to be bold. We need to pray for each other that we may be bold in the world today as we share the good news of Jesus Christ, to be fearless. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verses 56 through 69. <clears throat> Jesus speaking, He says, Whoever eats My flesh and drinks My blood remains in Me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent Me, I live because of the Father, so that the one who feeds on Me will live because of Me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died. But whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Carpenium. He's teaching in a parable. He's teaching them about Holy Communion. And Holy Communion, when we have Holy Communion, is a very sacred thing. We know that when we're eating the bread, that it is the body of Christ broken for us. That's what it represents. And that when we drink the grape juice, or we do it by intention, that that grape juice is to represent the blood of Christ, the new covenant shed for us. And that when we do that, we do it, as it says, in remembrance of Jesus. In remembrance of me. That's why we do that. And we're to remember what Jesus done for us on the cross of Calvary. But Jesus says to the group then and the, and the people standing there, the crowd, that if you take and eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, that I live in you. And because I live in you, you live also. And He lives. Verse 60, On hearing this, many of His disciples said, This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? It's a hard teaching for many in the world today to accept Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior that all they have to do is accept Him, confess that He is Lord of Lord and King of Kings, 
and ask Him to forgive them. And that He'll come into their heart and He'll clean them up from the inside out. No longer will they be the old creation, but they'll be a new creature in God. And it's hard for people to accept that that's all there is to it. To accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There's not some big formula or equation that has to happen in order for you to accept Jesus. It was hard for them, even in biblical times, to accept Jesus with Him being there before them. He goes on to say, verse 61, Aware of this, His disciples were grumbling about this. Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where He was before? The Spirit gives life to the flesh and counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. And Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who, had, who would betray Him. He went on to say, This is why I have told you that one can come to Me, no one can come to Me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many... From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They said, we can't, we can't begin to believe this. We can't begin to continue to uh, live our lives following you and we can't believe that we have to eat of your flesh and drink of your blood. They literally could not read the parable that Jesus was saying that he was the lifeblood, that he was that bread that they needed. So he asked his disciples, verse 67, you do not want to leave too, do you? And Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, and listen to what Simon Peter says. Lord, to whom shall we go? To whom shall we go? To whom shall we take our prayers and our petitions today to when we are in trouble or we need God's healing? Who do we carry it to? You know, it won't do you a bit of good to pray it to me. It won't do you a bit of good to pray it to Billy Joe or to, to Ronnie or to Sue. But we take our cares and our petitions and we pray them to God. For whom else shall we go to? You have the words of eternal life, Simon said. We have come to believe, verse 69, and to know that you are the Holy One of God. They've come to believe. Why did they believe? Because they saw all the wonderful things that Jesus had done. He'd made the lame to walk. He'd made the blind to see. He had fed the five thousand. He had brought back to death or back to life those who had died. They realized that he was truly the Son of God, and they believed in him. The question this morning is this. And all that you've seen, all that God's done for you, everything that He's provided for you. We, we don't have to see Him tangibly here for us to hold on to Him to believe in Him. But in everything that God's done for you, everything He continues to do, the security He gives you, the strength He gives you, the healing He gives us, how can you go throughout life and not believe is a mystery to me. So the question this morning is, is do you believe? Do you believe in God that He is the all in all? That He is the one and only King of kings and Lord of lords? 
that He is the one who sent Jesus into the world that we may have a Savior. Do you believe in the Lamb that was slain for you?